Having security cameras can be great. They're a great resource. But as we know, in true crime, majority of the time, something happens and they're not working. But not today's case. The cameras were working just fine, yet the victim was still gone. Even with cameras, he completely vanished. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to Before Amber, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Lady Amy. We are back. Thank you for all those that reached out to check last week. We switched hosting services and there was a little glitch in the transfer, but everything's fixed and good. All episodes should be available wherever you get your podcast. So let's get to it. Compared to most of our cases, this one is a little more current. It's also been covered more than most of the stories we talk about. But it's a case that once you hear it, it sticks with you. How can someone vanish? Yes, I said vanish. Brian Schaefer was born February 25th, 1979 to Randy and Renee Schaefer. He was described as loving and caring, smart and fun. He was one of those people that people just gravitate to. He also loved playing the guitar. And like most guys that age, he had the dream of having a band and playing in a band for a living. But for now, he was going to settle with becoming a doctor. Brian was a second-year med student at Ohio University and was 27 years old at the time of the story. Brian was really close to his family, especially his mother, Renee, but she had been battling cancer for a while and lost her battle on March 6, 2006, just weeks before our story takes place. Spring break was starting. Brian had finished his midterms and was ready to celebrate. He had spent days doing late night study sessions, cramming for those midterms, and now he just needed to unwind and relax. So he had a night out with his friend planned. He started his evening March 31st by having dinner with his dad, Randy, checking in on him, spending time with him, just being there for him. After all, they were both grieving the loss of Renee. So Brian was comforting him, letting him know it was going to be okay. After dinner, he was going to be heading out to meet his friend Clint at around 9 p.m., Before meeting up with Clint, he called his brother Derek to see if him and his girlfriend wanted to join them at the bar after the show they were going to was over. The couple declined because it was going to be late and they were tired and just wanted to go home. Sadly, this was the last time Derek would ever speak to his brother. I'm sure it's one of those things that has haunted him forever, the what if I had gone kind of pain. Brian and Clint's plan was to go bar crawling from one bar to another taking a shot at each one in the Columbus University District, starting at a place called the Ugly Tuna Saluna. Yes, that was the bar's real name. Weird, but catchy. As they're going from bar to bar, they run into people they know, hang out with them a little while. Everyone's just enjoying the start of spring break. At around 10 p.m., Brian talks to his girlfriend, Alexis Wagner. Alexis was a fellow med student. Everyone said they were perfect for each other. They were happy and in love. They were actually set to fly to Miami the following Monday, April 3rd. This trip was a gift from Brian's mom before she passed. Many people that knew the couple actually believed Brian was going to use this trip as an opportunity to propose to Alexis, but we'll never know. Alexis was spending the weekend with her family instead of going out with Brian. As they talked, they just confirmed their plans for Monday morning. He said he loved her. Alexis would later tell the media that nothing seemed wrong. Brian seemed to be in good spirits. He seemed happy. He seemed normal. She never would have thought something was wrong with him. And there was no signs that something was going to go on. Around midnight, Clint called his friend Meredith Reed 
to come hang out with the guys and finish the night with them. She did. Around 1.15 a.m. on the morning of April 1st, we see her and the guys on CCTV footage back at the Ugly Tuna Saluna. Let me explain the layout to you. The Ugly Tuna Saluna was on the second floor of a fairly new building. There was construction going on outside, and I read on the ground floor of the building. I don't know how extensive the inside construction was, but the outside construction was pretty big. So there's an escalator that goes from the building's bottom floor entrance to the second floor, which was the entrance to the Ugly Tuna Saluna, pretty much the main and almost only way into the bar. There was an emergency exit, which had cameras as well. And then there was one more last resort to get out of the building, which was a service entrance in the back of the building. From what everyone says about it, it wasn't that easy to get to, and it opened straight in the construction zone outside. So definitely not a safe place to be. This was the only entrance and exit that had no camera, but buildings around had cameras. So if someone left that entrance, they would have been seen on a camera from one of these other buildings. Now that you know the layout of the building, let's talk about the last time Brian was seen. First, let me tell you, this was the last footage of Brian ever. So it is important. And I think that's why many people fixate on this little clip. At around 1.55 a.m., we see Brian on the CCTV footage one last time. He's talking to these two women. They're probably in their early 20s. We later learn that they were actually two women that Clint knew from Ohio State. You see him talking to these two women for a minute near the top of the escalator. It looks like either he hands them a piece of paper or they hand him a piece of paper. It's actually really kind of hard to tell for sure. It is 2006 after all. Surveillance was better than the 90s, but it still wasn't great, still kind of grainy. Some people say Brian was probably flirting with them, trying to get their number, but I don't think this was true. He was very happy in his relationship with Alexis. After his short encounter on camera, the girls go down the escalator and leave while Brian turns around and heads back or appears to head back inside. With the footage, you can see these two security guards standing at the top of the escalator. They look calm. They don't seem to notice anything going on out of the ordinary. The doors to the saloon were actually just outside of the view of the camera, but I don't think there was really anywhere else to go. They pretty much went straight into the bar. Clint would later tell police that he had seen Brian after he returned inside the bar from talking to the two girls, and they planned on leaving together, but got separated and lost track of each other. We don't know exactly at what point during the night. But Brian and Clint got into some sort of an argument. Clint admits this to the police later, and witnesses would also tell police that they saw them arguing. But it really didn't seem like that big of a deal, especially at the time. The bar was closing around 2 a.m., so not long after these two women leave, it was at this time that Clint and Meredith realized that Brian wasn't around. So they look around the bar, check the bathrooms, you know, other corners where maybe he might be. Clint tries calling and texting him and he can't get through. So they're like, okay, maybe he's already outside waiting on us. So they head outside. After looking around and waiting a while, they can't find him outside anywhere. So they're like, okay, maybe he just went home without him. His apartment was just six blocks away. So it wasn't like that was a very far-fetched theory. However, at this time in history, the area had a high crime rate. So that wouldn't have been the smartest thing for anyone to do, but if you're drinking, you're not always making the best choices. So 
Clint and Meredith decide to go ahead and leave too. Please always communicate with people you go out with. Arrive together, leave together, have a plan. Too many people go missing this way. Later that day, April 1st, Meredith actually took Clint to Brian's apartment complex to pick up his car. Neither of them went and checked on Brian, though, so there was no confirmation that Brian had actually made it home. Alexis, who was still out of town, and her parents tried calling Brian, but it went straight to voicemail. She figured no big deal. Maybe he didn't charge his phone. He probably had a hangover and was just needing to sleep it off. But as the weekend went on, she still couldn't get a hold of him. And the more time went by, the more worried she began to get. At the same time, she's trying to get a hold of him. Brian's dad was trying to get in touch with him too. They spoke every day and he wasn't having any luck. So Randy goes to Brian's apartment, looks around. Everything seems normal. Brian's car's there. So he's like, maybe he rode with someone else. Everything in the place looks normal. Books were stacked up, nice, neat pile. Bed was made. No signs of trouble at all. Randy contacts Derek to see if he had heard from him. And Derek's like, no, I haven't spoke to him since he asked us to go hang out. Monday, April 3rd rolls around and everyone's like, okay, he's not going to miss his flight. He'll show up. It's all going to be okay. But he doesn't show up for the flight. Alexis checked with the airlines. Maybe he got on a different flight, but they had no record of him on any flights. Derek went to check out Brian's apartment for himself. And the only thing he found was Alexis waiting on Brian for their flight. Once it was confirmed that he did not make his flight, everyone's concern grew worse. They reported him missing that Monday, at least 48 hours after he was last seen on CCTV footage. Police took the report and they actually started an investigation because they felt Brian's disappearance was suspicious, but they didn't realize how suspicious it was going to get. They started at the Ugly Tuna Saluna, since that's where his friends had separated from him. Police watched the footage. They figure, okay, we're going to see him and have a location in which direction to go. They go through everything from Friday night, Saturday morning. They spot Brian coming in with Clinton Meredith up that escalator. Then they see him talking to the two women, returning back into the bar. There are no cameras inside the bar, though. It's all outside. But then they kind of get confused because they don't see Brian leave the building. They see Clinton Meredith leave, but, you know, they knew they had got separated, but they still didn't see Brian leave the building. Wall detectives are coming through the surveillance Family and friends, along with other officers and dogs, were searching the surrounding areas. They searched in miles in all directions, but there was just no sign of him. They checked the riverbanks, the hospitals, homeless shelters, dumpsters, trash cans that were along the road, anywhere that he may have been able to fit or his body may have been able to fit. That construction zone, they combed it with cadaver dogs and there was no trace of him. Police questioned witnesses from the bar. They were able to contact the two women that were last seen with Brian. They questioned them along with Meredith and Clint. The two women and Meredith all took lie detector tests and passed them, but Clint refused to take a lie detector test, and he lawyered up once he was asked to. Not only did he do this, but he also cut ties with Brian's family and friends. Pretty fishy if you ask me. Police weren't going to give up. On the surveillance footage. Columbus, Ohio at the time had more cameras than any other city in Ohio. It was, quote, the most watched city in Ohio. Police figured that since they couldn't see him on the surveillance leaving the building, maybe the surrounding buildings caught a glimpse of him. 
So they collect all that footage as well. They comb through it. But again, there's no Brian. So what was happening? They figured, okay, he wanted to just give up on his life and leave. So he disguised himself and snuck out wearing different clothes or disguise or something. Police theory at this point was that Brian just left his life behind, whether to start a new one or something worse. He was grieving. Brian's family was adamant that this was not the case, but police had no other theory at this point. They believed he was stressed with everything, midterms, life in general. He posted on MySpace. Yes, MySpace. Brian wrote, I really love music and this whole doctor thing is just a job, only temporary, until I get my band together and put out a record. I want to own an island someday or at least a beach so I can listen to Buffett all day and drink margaritas with my senorita. Police still doubled and triple-checked the surveillance footage. Seriously, over the last nearly 20 years, they have spent thousands of hours on this footage. They finally noticed something. Well, actually, they noticed nothing. Literally nothing. They counted every single person that went into the Ugly Tuna Saloon and every person that came out that night Every person was accounted for except one. So even if Brian had changed clothes and disguised himself, hid his identity, he would have been counted as one of these people leaving. But no, there was one person short. Now police were baffled. Where was Brian? How did he not leave the building? There had been no activity on his cell phone, bank accounts, credit cards, social security, since he went missing, he left behind money. If you're going to run away, you would still need money. Brian's family wasn't giving up hope. Alexis called his cell phone every day and prayed that he would pick up one day, but every day it went straight to voicemail until September of 2006. She called his phone like she did every day, but this time it rang. She was so surprised and hope flooded her. Her spirit lifted but no one answered. So she tried again and it rang. No one answered. She tried again and it rang, but no one answered. She contacted detectives that were working the case. They called it too and it rang for them, but only once. No one picked up. They tried again and it started going straight to voicemail. So did someone have Brian's phone? Was he okay? Had he got it charged? Police pinged the phone and it showed that it was pinged from a tower near the town of Hillard, about 14 miles northwest of Columbus. They contacted the phone company, tried to get their help, but they said it was probably just a glitch. That maybe the phone was trying to power itself up and it just was a glitch in the system and rang. Brian's family was crushed. They don't believe that it was a glitch. How could a glitch make it ring that many times? So they were still holding out hope. Sure, there had been a few sightings of Brian over the time that he had been missing from Atlanta to Sweden, but nothing turned up anything. Two years after Brian disappeared, tragedy hit his family again. September 14th of 2008, Hurricane Ike had been making its way across the U.S. It was finally dying down as it reached Ohio, but it was still really strong winds. And a tree broke and that branch hit Randy, killing him. His neighbors found him in the yard the next day. The Columbus Dispatch, which is a paper, put an obituary of him on their website. Or people can leave comments and send their condolences to the family. One caught the attention of everyone. It said, quote, Dad, I love you. Love, Brian. U.S. Virgin Islands. End quote. 
Could this be from Brian? Was he living his dream on the beach? He didn't need a passport or anything to go to the U.S. Virgin Islands because it's U.S. territory. Police immediately see this. They immediately check it out. But they were able to trace it to a public computer in Franklin County. And it turned out just to be a cruel hoax. People that do this crap, there's a special place in hell for them. Time went on. Alexis moved on. Derek was the only one left in his family. So it was so hard for him to move on. To this day, he hasn't fully moved on. The Ugly Tuna Saloon closed in 2018. Then in 2020, there was some hope for the case. A photo started circulating on the internet of a homeless man in Tijuana, and he looked a lot like Brian, like really looked a lot like him. I saw it myself, and you can Google it, and there is definitely some major similarities The police sent it to the FBI, and after what felt like four excruciating long weeks, the FBI announced that they used facial recognition software and determined that it was not Brian. So where's Brian? Let's talk some theories. There are many of them out there, and many of them are far-fetched, but here's a few more logical ones. Theory one is that Brian ran away from his life. This is what police think, for the most part. Okay, yes, he was grieving, but overall he was happy and in love. If he ran away, how did he get out of the bar without being seen by anyone or anything? Say he did change clothes and slip into the crowd. One person was still missing that night, so who else went missing from the Ugly Tuna Saluna? How did he get clothes or disguise to change into? Because he didn't have a bag or anything with him that day. Anytime we saw him on camera, he wasn't carrying anything like that. If he took his own life, where's his body? Theory two was that Brian left the bar and ran into foul play or got hurt. Say he left that service door where the cameras weren't. How could he have stayed 100% out of view of those cameras? If he fell or got stuck in that construction zone, the dogs would have been able to find his scent and find him. Officers said there wasn't anywhere deep enough that if he fell, they wouldn't have been able to see him. He would have been found in that construction zone if that's where he went out. It's very unlikely for him to make his way through that construction zone being intoxicated like he probably was if he drank as much as what the plan was. This area, like I said, was a high crime rate. So if he got out through that door and was met with foul play, where's his body? They checked dumpsters and trash cans. Nothing. There is a chance that the dumpsters were emptied before Brian was reporting missing on Monday morning. If that's the case, then we'll never find Brian. Theory three was that Clint was involved some way, whether he hurt Brian in the bar and somehow snuck his body out, or at the very least, some people say that maybe Brian told Clint that he wanted to disappear and wanted his help, but Clint didn't want to help him, so that's what they argued about. Had Brian want to start a new life and Clint just doesn't want to admit that he knows that, we'll never know because he's not talking. Some people say that Clint maybe was doing drugs that night and didn't want to talk to police or take a lie detector test because he didn't want to get in trouble for that. Derek believes that Clint knows something and is hiding it. Theory four is that something else happened inside that bar and his body is still hidden inside it. But being the fact that the Ugly Tuna Saluna has already been closed, you would think that his body would have been found even if it was in the walls somewhere. This one is not very plausible to me but it is a theory that some people believe. Just for fun, let's talk about one of the far out there theories. 
Of course, people say aliens. They say that when anyone goes missing. But there is a large group of people that believe that there's a portal inside that building, or at least there was one on that night, maybe in a room that wasn't supposed to be accessed by people, and it transported Brian to a different timeline or different dimension. That's why we can't find his body anywhere, and there's no sign of him leaving the building that day. Like I said, far-fetched theory. Please, however, think that Brian is alive and out there somewhere, living his life, especially since there was no body ever found. Brian's friends and family don't think this is the case. They don't believe that Brian would have ran away and gone this long without contacting anyone. No matter how much he was grieving, he still loved his brother and father. There's no way that he would have missed his father's funeral. I really don't know. I would like to think that he's out there on a beach somewhere, but the fact that there's no signs of him leaving the building really has me puzzled, so I don't know what to think. I worry something happened inside the bar and somehow they snuck his body out, but if he is out there, I hope he contacts his brother someday. I know he really misses him. Like I said, over the years, they have had plenty of tips come in and police have checked each and every one of them. So far, none have led to anything. If you know anything about what happened to Brian, please contact the Columbus Police Department at 877-645-8477. That's the story of Brian Schaefer. If you don't already, please like, follow, or subscribe depending on where you listen. Please leave a five-star review as it really does help the podcast grow. If you have a case you want us to cover, please send an email to beforeamberpod at gmail.com. You can also follow the show across all social media at beforeamberpod. We will be back in two weeks to remember someone else. Until next time, thanks for listening. Later! All of our sources are listed in the show notes, but some of those sources include newspapers.com, thecharlieproject.org, NBC News, 10TV News, Coffeehouse Crime, a YouTube channel, Bad Things, True Crime, a YouTube channel, and Reddit. Thanks again for listening.